0: Hello and welcome to Talking Foosball Extra, Ausstieg Edition, the show taking a closer look at the Bundesliga 2 and the lower divisions. My name is Nick Biltang and I'm delighted to welcome you to Talking Foosball's own Bundesliga 2 show. It's been about time that we featured the world's greatest league on our podcast, hasn't it? And that is why we have decided to bring you all the latest from the Bundesliga 2 and some lower league news items on a bi-weekly basis going forward. Joining me for our maiden edition of our Zweite Liga show is jasmine baba who you might know from the european football show and i'm really delighted to welcome her to the show welcome to the show jasmine
1: thank you for having me i'm really really excited about talking about the second bundesliga tonight
0: <laughs> aren't we all additionally i'm joined by millen podcaster and pauli fan referee at lower league level ground-hopping enthusiast mike rickenmeier great to have you back on our
2: pod mike Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. And I'm really looking forward to see what will come out of your great idea to yeah, well, start with this new podcast.
0: Thank yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it too. So on this edition of our Bundesliga 2 pod, we'll be talking about uh, Hamburg being brown and white. That's one for you, Mike. The fact that Schalke and Werder are nearing crisis mode, whilst Holstein and Kiel are looking like they're in crisis, and an awful lot more. So stay tuned for that. Here we go, let's talk some Zweite Liga. Just a quick programming note before we start digging into our topics. We're not going to be a match-by-match review podcast, but we'll be taking a closer look at the trends and news coming out of the Bundesliga 2. So, let's start with one of the biggest news items that the last few weeks have produced. And Mike, that is actually your team, the Brown and Whites of Hamburg, St. Pauli. They have started the season rather well, not losing their first three matches before you know losing on on the weekend against Paderborn which means that they're now on pretty close to uh, near the top of the table so last year me and you we spoke a little bit about Zampaudi at the start of last season and at that point you were sort of like "Mm, maybe we do have an outside chance of securing promotion we have a young team it's a talented team it's a team going places we have a young exciting coach so let's see how things go well Things started poorly, but improved towards the end of the season. This time around, the Buccaneers have looked decent in the first few matches. So how do you feel about your team's chances this season, Mike?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for reminding me of uh, what I was uh, optimistic last year, (laughs) but in the end it all went well, so let's do not talk about that again. Let me answer the question or the point of our chances with some club names. It's HSV, it's Schalke, Werder. Düsseldorf, Nürnberg, Heidenheim, Hannover, Paderborn, Kiel, Darmstadt. So that's already 10 clubs and I haven't even mentioned St. Pauli yet. So of course it will be so difficult to get into these three promotion spots but that's the case for all of these 10 teams and St. Pauli that would be 11. Well Maybe we do have some teams like Regensburg and Dresden, which I haven't even mentioned. So I think more than half of the league at least wishes to get to these promotion spots. And as every single year in the second Bundesliga for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years already, there will be three teams at the top in the end. That's for sure. But it's always really, really crazy. And probably you don't know the chances until or three game days before the end so let, let's put it the other way there's always hope and in the second Bundesliga you never know and at least we did have a good start this year so let's wait and see where it will bring us and yeah well the the, the start has been much better than in the last couple of years so I'm a little bit optimistic at least.
0: Would you also be a little bit optimistic uh, Jasmine?
1: Yeah I think with COVID especially, I think last year kind of proved prove that anything could happen. I'm, I suppose Bundesliga has always been a little bit more unpredictable than most leagues. But the added effect of COVID mainly maybe like forcing bigger teams to just be a little bit more nervous, not really taking in this league, especially from the ones that have come down from the Bundesliga this year. It's a hard league that, if you've not been in for a while, to get grips with. And for the ones stuck here, you can see the likes of Hamburg, it's quite hard to get out of. So it really is anyone's game. And you can be as optimistic as you can be pessimistic. So, yeah, i I got that slight optimism about this season, but also... No, at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so it depends on whether or not you are sort of a glass half full or <laughs> half empty sort of person. Well, Mike, a lot of last season's squad is still in place. The coach, Timo Schultz, he's now in charge of his second season. And funnily enough, you guys at the Midland Tour actually did a series of interview with the... Uh, timo schultz last season where you interviewed him throughout the different stages of the season and released the result at the end of last season and i mean for anybody who's sort of interested in getting any sort of insight into what coaching is like and what sort of mindset of a coach looks like it's a it's a brilliant listen so what do you think or what do you know timo schultz has taken away from his first full season in charge of the club and what will he have learned
2: yeah, maybe I will start with that short series we did because it's called Being Timo Schulz. And like you said, it's a great listen, but unfortunately it's in German. But we do have a full transcript also in English. So if you Google it, Being Timo Schulz, you will find that. And I'm pretty sure next year in the summer break, we will have three or four teams in Germany who do exactly the same, but then done by the club itself. So it's this was really a very unique thing and shout out goes to my colleague Tim who did that and it was really, really great. But coming back to your question, what has he taken away? Well, to be honest, he answers that in the final episode because Tim asks him for that and mainly it's experience. As you can imagine if you do your first season as a coach in in the senior level. uh, He coached the uh, U19, U17 team before and of course this was also already quite successful but uh, doing it in the senior level is of course something totally different. He also said that he might have underestimated the dynamics of a team and well, maybe especially in pandemic times. because. It, it was really difficult to get something like a team building when you are in total lockdown and and this was really, really difficult. We also had some bad luck with injuries and this was also something that, that he learned and that, that you can't rely on, on your plans. And um, in the end, I think he and his also very young trainer team have proven already that they improve and that they have improved the team a lot in in this year already and well if that proceeds and if we can uh, as a team yeah keep that pace that we have at the moment and then the the good flow well maybe because uh, apart from the last weekend then um, yeah I think he will improve even more and also that goes for the team
0: Wow, and suddenly you sound like a glass half-full guy there. Ah, uh, totally. Uh, <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always great. One thing I have to ask you about, Mike, is is, is the fact that St. Pauli once again won the Stadt Derby against HSV, your arch rival. Hooray. Yes, isn't it great? <laughs> I mean, I do sympathize a little bit more with one side in Hamburg than the other, and being a better brain fan it might not be a secret, but it is St. Pauli. But What I have to ask you, why on earth are St. Pauli on such a hot streak against their rivals from across town? Because on paper, they should be outsiders, shouldn't they?
2: Yeah, definitely. Maybe we can explain that a little bit with the history, because St. Pauli won the first Bundesliga game ever, which took place in, oh my God, I think it was 1979, uh, something like this. And then, never again until 2011. So this was a streak of uh, 32, 34 years, something like that, and every single game we were, well, more or less demolished. There were some draws, but uh, some very, very painful uh, results uh, also in this year in between. And then It came to 2011, we won that game at the Volkspark with that goal from Gerald Asamoah. Then this was everything we were there for in the first Bundesliga, so we said goodbye and went back down to the second Bundesliga uh, and losing every game after that. And then finally we were Stadtmeister and the HSV came down to the second Bundesliga after a few years to get back that title. And they haven't done that up to now. We still are the Stadtmeister and hopefully we can (laughs) stay that until the end of time. But to get back to your question, maybe it's because of the passion of, for example, Timo Schulz. I think the HSV coach uh, Tim Walter is also a very good coach. But maybe he does not have the, the passion and the feeling for this game. And Timo Schulz also won most of the derbies in the youth teams. And he is so much into this club. And I think that on this level, if you have one or 2% out of this enthusiasm that you can bring to the players, maybe that's the difference. And maybe this can make the difference and, and brings you to that successful streak that we have at the moment with, I think four wins out of the last five games. Yeah, that's of course incredible. And there are children born Some years ago, and they haven't even seen a loss of St. Pauli in the Derby. So (laughs) I needed to get 35 to see my first win. So that's the difference. And (laughs) definitely this streak, or to put it another way, the HSV, and you also said that, they are still the big club in the city at least from their point of view. And I think that's still in their minds. And they do get to, to this stadium. It's different. And uh, maybe it's, it's that little switch in the head that we are the underdog. Maybe it's easier for the underdog. And yeah, let's see how this gets uh, back in, I think, February when we get to the Volksparty, if we can keep the title and if Timo Schulz can uh, make us Stadtmeister again. Uh,
0: Jasmine, did you watch that
2: much?
1: I watched a little bit of it, and I honestly thought, I actually wasn't that knowledgeable of the record. I, I didn't know it was that one-sided to Stem it. But I think, especially with my uh, thoughts about Tim Walter, I love his football. I love how innovative he is, and I... Think in the Spider-Bundesliga, even the Bundesliga, there's not that much tactics innovation going on. There's not many people who are different and coaches differently. And Tim Walter is one of them. And I absolutely love his chaotic way, his chaotic tactics. And so I honestly thought, you know, this is Hamburg's year. They're actually going to get promoted. And then you see a game like that and you're like, Uh, maybe a bit dial down the chaos, just a tiny bit. So I I honestly didn't think it was that one-sided when it came to records, but I do agree with the kind of psychological impact that if you're not from there, and especially the same way Timo Schultz is from up from Howley, that you do find that kind of, not even psychology-wise, but even principled play, You don't have that kind of game innovation from youth to senior and you don't see it through. And that does affect the way a a manager fits into a team and how they play. And I think that is definitely pro St. Pauli. I think you've seen it in a few other teams as well. I think in Hanover, their managerial appointment and who got Freiburg's under 23 manager? My mind's gone black. else uh, is doing poorly.
2: Verra, for example.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to go there, but whoever... Dusseldorf. Yeah, you. There we go. go. <laughs> there we go. Got there in the end. Dusseldorf and Hanover. They've gotten, you know, youth league from other club or a regional league manager. And you see that they don't completely fit or gel in. It's still too early to say if they will, but it's definitely a plus that Timo Schultz have over other managers that could push him past the line and definitely do better than last season.
0: Mm. well Timo Schultz uh, much like you uh, Mike he actually has a has a cheeky past at Werder if you didn't know that well uh, the derby when it was followed by a 3-1 loss against Paderborn a match in which St. Pauli played with 10 men for almost the entire 90 is that going to disturb the positive development uh, that we've seen at the start of the season or is it simply a case of a match that went horribly wrong from the get go and uh, it's just one to forget and you'll uh, walk through the rest of the season head high
2: well um... To be honest, I'd like to skip the answer uh, until next week when we played Regensburg, because we always struggle a little bit after the previous derby. And so I hope that we can get back on track this time in the next game. It's at home, but of course it's against Regensburg, who has won the first four games. And uh, after that, we have the, the break because of the national teams. So we will have some guys coming back like Australian international Jackson Irvine and maybe the, the uh, striker from Osnabrück, uh, Etienne Aminido. And I think if we win against Regensburg, we can definitely play a very good role in the season. If we lose against Regensburg, well, then uh, we, we might have that Derby-Fluch again, and that might be difficult.
0: The curse of the Derby The, the curse, win.
2: yeah. I, I think the, the team is so stable after the last six months or after the second part of the last season that they should definitely get back on track. And And like you said, it was a game which had a very, very bad start with the red card after five minutes, and also you you produced that own goal uh, one minute before half time, otherwise you would have gone in, into the break with, with a one nil lead, and uh, so th- there was so many bad luck on that day, so I hope it will just be uh, a, a match going to the wrong direction from the start
0: uh, one, one thing I'm, I'm wondering about i mean you you are. Lower league referee. Uh, When you see red card decisions like that, are you actually just nodding your head and saying, Well, the guy, he needed to send him off? Or are you just swearing and cursing at your television set and calling him all sorts
2: of names? It's really difficult since I am a referee four or five years now and definitely my way of watching St. Pauli games has changed so much because before that I was yelling at the referee 90 minutes long and uh, (laughs) this has definitely changed so I now do have a better understanding and I'm really part of that. Yeah, watching the game with referee's eyes. And I was watching the game on Saturday with a friend and with my son. And they said, well, we don't have that double penalty anymore. If it's a penalty, then it can't be a red card. Or are we totally wrong? And I said, yeah, unfortunately, you are totally wrong. It's a red card and a penalty if the foul is not ball-oriented. And unfortunately, grabbing someone at the shoulder is not ball-oriented. So, yeah, it is a red card. I personally would change the rule and uh, say it doesn't matter if he is going for the ball or if he is grabbing the shoulder, because the other way around, if he would have tackled Sven Michel in a very bad way and broken his legs, but he was going for the ball, then it might have just been a yellow card. And to my understanding, that's not correct. That's not the way it should be. But the way it is at the moment, from a rule perspective, the referee did exactly what he needed to do. And so, uh, yes, I I do understand him. Uh, Of course, I'm not happy with it. But yeah, it was the right decision.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's it's great to get a little primer on on the rule and the rule changes, and uh, there have been quite a few over the last few years, especially when it comes to handball. And maybe we can get into that that discussion at some point because it seems to be never ending. Changing topics ever so slightly, let's take a closer look at teams in crisis in the Bundesliga 2, And boy, there are quite a few at the moment. Only four match days in, and some boardrooms they might start to panic. I mean, some boardrooms they' do start to panic when they haven't gotten 10 out of 12 points. HSV might be a case for <laughs> one of those boardrooms, but having watched the Bundesliga 2 last season, I, I was struck by the fact how well Holstein Kiel was organised, how well they went on the counter-attack. But so far, only one point out of four matches. So, Jasmine, can you ask me why a team that has finished third last season suddenly started off the season in such a poor manner? One point from four matches at that point, came against Fortuna Dusseldorf, who haven't been necessarily one of the greatest teams in the league so far this season, as you mentioned.
1: No, and I thought with nearly every other team changing managers, changing their stance, changing everything, you know, you thought Kiel would actually have more stability than most coming into this season, and it looks like, no, they don't. There's a number of reasons why it could be going wrong. I think, first of all, we have to talk about the mentality of the team to get so close to being promoted. The long season, even the run with the DFB Pokal, the unluckiness they had with the COVID cases in their club, you know, their mentality. They don't look tired, but they just don't look the same they look like they're actually mentally struggling and they're having a great deal of lack of confidence and it might be something that just has trickled down from Olivera I don't necessarily blame them. I, to get so, so close in that last season and then just get destroyed is not a nice feeling to come back and I think it's harder to shake. But there's been a few changes in personnel which probably would have helped. They've got um Lee, Sadler, and all we've gone. They've brought in uh, Peter Arp, they've brought in Scripts and I think that is just down to, you know, settling in and gelling together as a team. But also what's not really talked about with Holstein Kiel is how unlucky they've been. If you look at the underlying numbers, some of those matches they haven't deserved to lose. I think Quite crazily, the game against Schalke, Kiel had 1.41 on XG and Schalke had 1.2, but that led to a massive defeat. These are not things that you get like often, but it happened to them against Schalke and it's happened to them against Regensburg. They had 0.93 XG against Regensburg, which isn't the greatest, but Regensburg only had 0.88 and they lost that one as well. So I think. They've still got quality that needs to gel in, which will happen, and, you know, they're actually not playing that badly, they've just gotten shot a few many times. I am surprised that he's still sticking with the full 3 3 and hasn't really kind of helped stabilize their defense just a little bit by playing 4-2-3-1. I think that would maybe help them to get over these issues. But we'll have to see in the next match against Auer. If they can't do it at home to Auer, they need to change something to get
0: them going. I mean, when I watched them against Dusseldorf, what struck me was they went into the lead, finally, for the first time this season. They scored for the first time. (laughs) Indeed. And then they actually had two or three sort of decent half chances to get that second goal. And when those didn't go in... The match started to change entirely. And suddenly it was Düsseldorf who were having all the pressure, all the possession, and who were finding spaces between the defenders. So, yeah, it might be a mentality thing, but, well, shouldn't something click in Olivera's head as well at that point? Say, well, geez, I have to change something here on the pitch. Yeah,
2: but, but I would like to agree to what Jasmine just said about the. the how unlucky they are because for example the regensburg game they had that header against the crossbar in the i don't know five fifth minute or something and this would be such a great release to them and then of course if you go one nil up you can't lose zero three but the game might have gone totally in another way and uh, i think really the the same applied to to the schalke game like, like jasmine said so i think they will come back and they also had the same situation with exchanging more or less the whole squad between the seasons in the last two or three years and they managed it every single time and also most of the teams who lost the relegation playoff in the last couple of years always had a very difficult start to the next season so I trust in Kiel they will come back I'm pretty sure. They're too
1: good to go down but the only thing I'm worried about is that that has been said before in um, <laughs> <laughs> some teams who have went down.
0: If they go down at the end of the season, I'll, I'll make sure to bring up that you said that. Uh, <laughs>
1: Please do. I have not had a good rip record so far this season, so <laughs> I'm now very worried.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Keel fan, be worried. Turning to my team... Werder bremen They're currently on five points from four matches after the goal draw against Karlsruhe. What was up with you, VAR? Well, we actually made an entire podcast series this summer about Werder Bremen, uh, their history, what went wrong in the last decade, what went wrong in the last season, and where they were going from here. And Some of what we highlighted is the fact that the club needed to, well, sell players and bring in new talent. And uh, so far, Frank Baumann and uh, Clemens Fritz, I've not really done a terrific job at scouting players, but uh, Frank Baumann has really shipped our players at wholesale prices because he has to. I mean, let's give the guy a break. He has to. If you say, well, 5 million euros for Ludwig Oestins isn't enough, well, in the COVID market, that's probably what you get for a defender playing in the Bundesliga 2. But so far, no players have been brought in. And today, on Monday, 23rd, it became public that Jordan Bayer had agreed terms with Werder Bremen for a loan deal. That fell through because Stefan Leiner was injured during the Bundesliga match between Leverkusen and Gladbach. Some more bad news. Linton Minor was supposed to join Werder Bremen. He changed his mind because he wants to go to the Bundesliga. So where are Werder Bremen going from here? Because when you watched that match against Karlsruhe and you looked at the bench, the oldest player on the bench was 21 years old. It's not really an experienced squat, this, is it? So where are that going from here?
1: Ask um, Bauman and Fritz. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your board. I, like, honestly, like, it's weird because I think everyone is like watching a train that can't break at any of the stations and just crash entirely through. Everyone can see it happening and no one's really stopping it and just kind of watching it. Everything has kind of been made public as well. Everyone knows what's going on at Roman, And it still isn't going in any way. They're crying out for quality. They really are. Marcus Fangfang is, I I still, I remember when he was first rumoured to be appointed and I was like, this is good, this is good. And I didn't know how much trouble they've put him in. And bless him, he's doing as much as he can, but they're crying out for any sort of quality, any sort of loan deal from bigger teams. Their XG, again, is fine. They're playing well with the players that they've got, but they just need a quality striker or just any experienced striker that could do the second league. Like, unfortunately, Schalke got there for Tirada before. (laughs) But... It, and But also, Fritz and Bauman have put pressure on themselves by saying there'll be signings this week. Hmm.
0: They said that last week as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even know what day it is. I'm going to be rerunning. It's the same week for me. But the club hasn't realised that they're in the second league now. They're not Bundesliga. They can't be snobby when it comes to names. They obviously need to have good players for the second Bundesliga, but... The way that they're going about players, going, mm, it's not as big, it's, they're not a big name. Well, you're. A, why would they come to you if they were a big name?
2: <laughs> but do you have the feeling that they are picky? I don't think so. I, I think they just don't have the money to do it.
1: They, they, they don't. They really don't. And I think that is partly why Giochumakis fell through. Well, the thing is, there's two things about Joe Giochumakis. Firstly, no one knows if he's any good. He's only been scored in one league, which is the Dutch Eredivisie. And if you've ever tried to scout from that league, it is the hardest thing to ever do because not, not a single team has a defensive structure. Are they good or are they just playing in the Dutch league? Is It's a very hard game to play. And in stats, when it comes to Jacob Marcus, he's lower than any other average second league Striker, you would get. So it's an incredible risk for what Venlo are asking for the money for him. To be honest, I don't know why there was such a competition between Celtic and a second league for Bremen. Anyway, Celtic, you know, have European football. It's not me dunking on Bremen. It's, it's just, true. It's just what it is. That it's kind of a, there's other things that I feel like. They don't have the money, first of all, but there are good deals around that they're also turning their
0: nose up to. I mean, Jordan Bayer would have been a good deal, and, and honestly, Gladbach catching four injuries in one match in the Bundesliga is not Frank Baumann's fault. Let's just be that kind on him.
2: It's difficult for but you I, to say that, right?
0: <laughs> but having said that, having said that, I have to say that I'm rather surprised that Frank Baumann went out signing three defensive-minded players at the start of the season, when you still had top Valkovic, Valkovich, Friedel at the club, all three of those players are still there. So far. So far, yes. So far.
1: But, uh, I don't know if you've heard about Friedel.
0: Well, he, I mean, he's been rumoured to join both Augsburg and Bologna, so... There
1: is a big thing, I can't remember which... Team. so I wouldn't
0: be surprised if he also left uh, uh, yeah honestly I, I wouldn't be because uh, he he went to the Euros for Austria so um, his, his level of ambition is surely higher than Bundesliga 2 and who can blame him but you know having said that you know going out getting all those defenders first and then selling off your entire <laughs> attacking department afterwards without bringing in any attackers or offensive minded players to begin with, and, you know, the wingers that were there at Werder Bremen. I mean, there was one player who might kind of maybe gel with that Anfang system, and that's Benjamin Goller, but, hey, he's been down to Darmstadt. So what's that about? So, honestly, I I cannot really understand that, sort of, the way things have gone in terms of the transfers. But, hey, five points from from four matches, not too bad, but it it should have been a lot better.
2: Can I interrupt you at that point, because... These five points, three of them or four of them, they got in the first two matches and they still had Sergeant and Egerstein in their squad. Yeah. And they are not there anymore. So this will be far more difficult from now on if they don't do another two or three signings this week. So probably we will be yeah. looking on that from a different angle next week or in two weeks' time.
0: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, I've got the Vera app installed on my phone, and um,
2: <laughs> you need to refresh it, or of
0: course I do. <laughs> does it push notifications? The thing is, the push uh, notifications—they they do come in, <laughs> but usually it's today. It's, it was a push ident- notification about Kristen Gross being the captain at, in the match against Karlsruhe. And I was like, damn, guys, that match was two days ago. I thought you were going to give me a transfer. It's, uh, yes, it's it's quite frustrating, and, and before I get an aneurysm, let's change topics. <laughs> Another side that is struggling in the Bundesliga 2 are fellow relegation strugglers from last season, Schalke. They've got four points from four matches, and they were whipped quite badly by tabletopers Jana Rainsburg on the weekend Four one they lost... But the situation with Schalke is slightly different than with Werder, because Werder Bremen still had a chance of sort of staying in the league on the last match of the Bundesliga season. With Schalke, you knew where they were heading in February, March. So you would have thought that, well, isn't that a club that should have been better prepared for the ins and outs of the Bundesliga 2, who should have done a better job at, you know, bringing in the right players? I mean, signing Simon Siemens to Rodder is certainly a great start because if there's one striker that oozes goals in the Bundesliga 2 it's it's surely him. But the rest of the moves and the build-up to the season has been quite chaotic. So how do you explain what Schalke have been doing so far?
1: Bromazis. Right. <laughs> it's really weird because there are differences from Werder Bremen and Schalke, but Schalke still haven't also realised the second Bundesliga is the second Bundesliga and they have to do things differently. But they've prepared in terms of players. They've got a great squad. They've got a great squad. They've got Tarada. they bought Palsen, who I'm a big fan of, from Darmstadt. And they bought uh, Salazar. Lots
0: as well, from Mainz.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a great squad. And that squad, for me, isn't a five-three-two squad it's if they're trying to be defensive minded and stabilize it out from the back and it's they don't have the defense for it they should be someone like Marcus Anfang or even Tim Walter under that that squad I think would do brilliantly or more chaotic maybe the same amount of points maybe a little bit more they would look better I think the appointment of Grimots is just a weird one I think to give him a chance in the Bundesliga, okay, fair, but to overhaul Schalke's problems, especially on the pitch, he's very out of his depth. He only had, as I say, real term spite of Bundesliga experience, eight, 16 months, and it was greatly disrupted by COVID. I wouldn't have said Grimatzis was great or a great fit for most clubs from what I saw under Darmstadt under his tenure and most importantly he's not a manager who can do stuff with the ball he doesn't have tactics with the ball and I think Schalke needs someone who has that under their their tactics of experience and I think if they even try to change it earlier knowing that they were in the second league like like. Okay, we can stick, but it's really a matter of how much longer they stick with him. He, his contract runs out at the end of the season, so, you know, it, they, at least they wouldn't still be playing David Wagner still, So <laughs> if they did sack him.
0: I mean, so, so what you're saying is basically that Peter Knedel, the, the guy who's in charge of bringing in the players and who's in, you know, appointed Gromotters, he's done a great job in bringing in players but not necessarily chosen the right coach to go with that players. And, um, Mike, you're based in Hamburg. You know Peter Nabel well. He's played for St. Pauli. Yeah,
2: and he lost his rucksack when he was with the HSV.
0: Yes, I was going <laughs> I was, I was to say that. Could you tell the story of, of the backpack? Because that went through the Hamburg press a, a few years ago, and it's truly a delight and always funny to hear from St. Pauli and Werder, uh, well, human perspective, as long as you're not an HSV fan. So if, if you could tell us that story, that would be great.
2: Oh, I I need to grab it in my mind, but uh, they the, the the problem was that Peter Knable lost his backpack in, if I remember correctly, in a park, mm-hmm. and in there there were player contracts, tactics, or scouting reports and so on. And this was then found by someone, of course, and I not sure, but I think he offered the the one who uh, found it offered it to the press but they denied or something and finally no
0: no the thing that actually happened was that the lady who found it called HSV said well I've got some of your player contracts ah ok and HSV said no 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 that that cannot be possible and, and the lady then went to the build site okay? <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <you know> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's of course uh, something which which will always be remembered when you name the name of Peter Knebel. So, uh, a little bit of a very, very unlucky story of his stay uh, here at HSV. Yeah, correct.
0: Yeah, so that is Peter Knebel, but he might. Very well be a very competent man, just the same. But the story is funny and um, it doesn't necessarily pertain in a great light. Anyways, moving on. Jana Rigsberg, we've mentioned them a few times. They won 4-1 against Schalke. And they are the sort of team that the Bundesliga 2 always somehow seems to produce in each season. It's It's the team of the moment right now. What I can tell you about them rather quickly is that their wage budget is in the lower half of the table. Their transfer spending is a whopping 300,000 euros. Look at that. And additionally, the squat is valued at 13.3 million euros by transfer market, which... Um, as squad value goes, is, is pretty far down there in, in the Bundesliga too. Jasmine, you have uh, watched them quite a bit. Uh, can you tell our listeners how they've managed to get off to such a good start to the season? Because they've won four out of four, and now they're bad chunk 4-1 on the weekend.
1: Yeah, and along with winning four, they've done it in some style. They've scored 12 goals, conceded one, and no one knows really how to stop them. Um, they play, again, it's really innovative tactics. They play a 4-2-2-2. And well, what people don't really realize is that their center backs are really, really wide. And not many people do this. Um, they basically stay wide. So if they, when they launch the ball forward, they have a better angle of doing so and a better than angle of switching. So their tactic is basically launch the ball forward and they are trained to win that second ball in front of your own goal for them to then attack you. And it's it's so hard to defend against because all their strikers are over 1.9 meters. They are massive. And not only are they good in the air, they're good on the ground too. They're not only technically gifted, but they're strong, so you're wrestling for them for the second ball. If you don't recover, they go on and attack. And if you do have it, their defence is normally back straight away to cover any counter-attack that you may have. On top of this, because this has been their tactic for a while, what they have done this season is really got the talent behind it too. They added Sarpreet Singh, who... If you aren't familiar with the second Bundesliga, he ripped Tottenham to shreds with Bayern Munich. He's from Bayern Munich youth and it's online to Regensburg. He's been at the pinpoint of most of their assists this season. He's just a wonderfully gifted player and a crazy foot on him. His goal at the weekend was superb. They've also got Gimba. Gimbo started out as a centre-back, so he has all the physicality and tackling skills of the centre-back, but as he's the double pivot player, he's also learned this really depth skill set to play the ball forward when he has it. He's also quick, so when they use the wide centre-backs, He's in the middle, basically, making sure nothing comes through him, and he's covering for those centre-backs who are out wide, so he's in the centre playing it all. The Shutkov, as well, is basically the opposite of Gimba. He was more of an attacking mid who's been brought back to double pivot with Gimba, and because of that, they've got this lovely, lovely partnership going on that is really helping Regensborg just
0: fly at the moment. Uh, well, are they a team that we could potentially see at the top of the table at the end of the season, or are we just talking about one of those, you know, teams of the moments that the Bungelier 2 seems to produce every now and then?
1: The funny thing is, the Ravensburg have been great, and... Their the tactics are solid. I've already jokingly said to you the only team I see beating this one is Dresden, and I have no evidence or logic to back that up. I, it's just the gut feeling. Also, that Dresden's tactics right now is a bit like Unai Emery's. They base their tactics on the other team, so they will try and find out a tactic to beat Regensburg. But finally, the teams Regensburg has already faced are crisis ones. They faced Darmstadt, who had the many COVID cases in the first weekend, which was entirely lucky. Also, the first goal was dealt with horribly by the Darmstadt defence. We had Kiel next, who are just shot in confidence and are still gelling. They also played Sandhausen, which I don't think anyone expects to do well this season, and Schalke. So... If we see them, I think we'll really get a feel if they can actually do it when they play maybe Hamburg, St. Pauli, just a little bit more grounded teams.
0: Well, as, as luck would have it, Mike, they're playing you next weekend. How are you feeling about that matchup?
2: Yeah, first of all, I also prepared a really, really detailed monologue about Saprit Singh. And luckily, Jasmine already did that part. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> he's so good I, I really like him a lot, so, so that might be the one to watch for me on Sunday in the stadium. Well, yeah, like Jasmine said, they had easy opponents in the first four games. So uh, let's see what comes out on Sunday. But on the other hand, as we all know, If you get into that flow in the second division, then everything can happen. And I am quite optimistic for Sunday, but it might turn out that they will do another surprise. And if you start with five wins, well, then everything can happen and they might uh, get into that flow even more. And then maybe they can be the big surprise this season. But hopefully, from my perspective, this run will end on Sunday.
0: Well, let's see what happens. Well, we've we've already talked far too long for part one of the show, but uh, nevertheless, Yasmin, I I have to ask you about Darmstadt, because uh, those of us who follow you on Twitter know that you do follow Darmstadt rather closely for a host of reasons. I think it would be fair to say that they are sort of your team in the Bundesliga too. I haven't been able to watch them so far this season besides their rather crazy 2-2 draw against HSV on the weekend. So tell me, what is that tactical setup like? What can we expect from them going forward this season?
1: To be fair, you've not missed much since the Hamburg game. The first two games were really dampened by Covid cases and everyone being ruled out lots of quarantine for quite a few players, in which I think not having that many players to choose from in our first two games against Williamsburg, one of them, you know, put down for on the season. We started with a uh, 4-1, 4-1. It's now moved to a 4-4-2. It's not so much a a low block, but a mid-high block. And I think the best showcase was the 2-2 2-2 draw against Hamburg. We saw them. Even though we didn't score a goal in the first two games, we won quite. Yeah, we won 6-1 against. Um,
0: Ingolstadt. For
1: some reason, I forgot that. We went blank. Yeah, 6-1 against Ingolstadt, which is a game you should be winning, as they're newly promoted. But if your your first two games don't go the way you've planned because of COVID, because of tactics, and you don't score two goals, I think. Ingolstadt was a nice one to have to get that all back. There has been quite a few unlucky attempts, especially in front of goal. And especially with losing the top scorer of last season, Seder Dürsen, replacing that was always going to be hard. And gelling again was always going to be a hard ask this season. We've made quite a few signings in Philippe Tietz from Wiesbaden, uh, Luca Pfeiffer... There's been quite a few, but those two are the only ones coming in the head because of our attacking options and you know
0: change coaches change as well.
1: Coaches. Yeah, obviously Marcus Anfangs at Verder Bremen, who I still really have a soft spot for, so hoping he does forder, well but we got Torsten Lieberknecht, which you know brought Braunschweig into the Bundesliga. Also back down, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and especially with What's been going on without all the clubs now that especially with such a big draw away at a big bigger club in the Spider-Bundesliga, there's no reason why Darmstadt can't build on what they had at the second the end of last season and go forward. They're more zonal marking, so you'll see a lot of that from Darmstadt. But in terms of where they go, this might be the last big year for Darmstadt. There are Quite a few of their big players with contracts running out. We've got t who's only on a one-year contract, Matthias Hanzak, I think Frank Rundstedt? No, he's just out with COVID. But yeah, there's no reason why we can't build, but I'm a little bit worried for future seasons.
0: All let right, be the last part of part one. We'll be back in part two with some lower league news items. Back to Talking Foosball Extra, our edition. Now, let's turn to a couple of news stories from the lower divisions that we do think are worth talking about. Uh, so let's start off with the tennis Borussia Berlin, a team in the fourth tier of German football. They're currently playing in the Regionalliga. They're from Berlin. They do have a past in the Bundesliga, which was a long, long time ago. I think they were actually coached by Rudy Gutendorf, but I might be wrong about that. Well, they actually agreed to feature the logo of Cura, an organization which helps victims of right-wing violence on their shirts. But the Football Association, which is in charge of the regional League in which they are playing, said, "No, you cannot do that. It's too political." So, so Mike, what, what do we think about that decision? And, and could you give us some more background?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, this decision, of course, is totally rubbish. Cura belongs to the Amadeo Antonio Stiftung, which is very, very popular. Uh, of course, left orientated uh, Stiftung or foundation in, yeah. in, 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 Germany, foundation in Germany. And uh, they are doing a really, really good job for many, many years. They were also featured by St. Pauli f- a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so now Tennis Borussia wanted to bring this uh, Cura thing on their shirts. And if I got it correct, then they were allowed to do that. They printed the shirts already, but but this was not uh, on paper. So they just had a, a verbal discussion. I don't know via telephone or whatever with the NOFV and Uh, finally on the match day itself, then they were denied to use these shirts on that match day. And of course, uh, I think it has been said by many people in the last couple of years, to be against discrimination, against racism, against fascism is not political. It should be obvious for everyone and therefore it's not a, a... political statement from my point of view. So therefore, the decision, of course, is rubbish. And unfortunately, it is not the first decision from that part uh, of the NOFE. They do things like this more often. And of course, it needs to be said, they are in a difficult uh, surrounding Or and, and they, they do have clubs in their region who, who do have... Issues with racists and so on.
0: Clubs who have fan bases who are pretty much in favor of right-wing violence.
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's put it like this. And unfortunately, also the the people higher in the board of the NOFV are also yeah involved. In these parts, they are close to the AFD. At least they there are pictures circulating which show the, the president of that with some uh, right-wing politicians and so on. So in the end, it's it's all a big mess. And well, from my point of view, you can just support Tennis Borussia on their way.
0: Well, I mean, if you a bit of context here, the AFD, uh, the alternative for Germany, is pretty much... Uh, how, how shall we label them? The uh, bird shit on the shoes of German democracy right about now. They are a, a right-wing party that is so far to the right that you need to puke every time you read to their party program. They're against immigration, they are, you know, they're pretty much discriminating against any group that they see fit. It's pretty much uh, Victor Orban on speed, what, what they are doing in their party program. And it, it's not a very nice bunch of guys, if you ask me. So being close to them and then heading a football association that says that they stand for openness and, uh, you know, inclusion and and these values that pretty much every every of these local associations of of German football have on their charters is a bit ridiculous, if you ask me. But anyways, when it comes to political statement and football, where should the line be drawn then, some might ask, Jasmine?
1: A loaded
0: question. (laughs) Very much so, yes.
1: I mean... There is no excuse for the ruling. There really isn't. And I partly of why they've done this is the reaction. I think they even said in the the second ruling, oh, they're worried about the reaction of some of the fans that are, you know, racists and far right wingers. And that's not the way you kind of want to go. You don't want to go, we're not doing this because we're scared. And it is probably more because they have connections to those kind of people. And where, it's like, it's all very hypocritical and it's very hard to figure it out and it's very hard to put into practice, but it really shouldn't be controversial at all to have a vetting process to make sure the people who are in these very privileged positions who make these rulings do not have any controversies or clashes with the kind of guidelines of openness and equal rights because it kind of sets the precedent. That being said, it's not the only country to have such problems, it's not the only sport to have those kind of problems. Any, If you work your way up to a board or a leaders group of any kind of league or anything, you're going to get in the same kind of trash so it really until that all changes we're going to see more and more of these controversies and it, it it's just not a controversy to being not racist <laughs> it's it's also not a political view either as michael has already said
0: indeed actually uh i, I don't know if you saw that mike but um andreas retic uh, a guy you might know well he was actually um in charge of of or was he in fi- charge of finances at St. Pauli, the sporting the ah, no. He did
2: everything. Uh, he did everything. Uh, in a but... so short period, he was also in charge for the sports.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, Andreas Letting, who currently is uh, at Victoria Köln at the moment, he gave a great interview to a local Cologne newspaper mm-hmm. where he said that when it comes to German football associations, there are 7 million members of the DFB, but yet you end up with the same group of guys every time. In leadership positions, and that's because you know you get into politics and you get into you know making alliances, you know working your way up through these regional associations, and in the end, you end up with the same bunch of old white guys doing the same things. And for me, it's it's just a perfect case for for what he was talking about when it comes to that. And quite honestly, I'm I'm, I'm rather sick of these. Old white man (laughs) being absolutely rubbish at what they're doing. Um, Changing topics ever so slightly, let's talk about another man who robbed football fans the wrong way, and that is Saxony's Minister of the Interior, Roland Völler, a member of the Conservative Party who made some national headlines in Germany back in 2008 when his doctoral thesis was called into question because of suspicion of... Flaglerism? I mean, he's not the only one in this party, if you know your German politics. Well, he made some national headlines back in July when he stated that personalized tickets to football matches is a great way of ensuring the stadium-going public's interests uh, and their safety. Now, why is that a bad idea, Mike?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a leading question, but... <laughs> yeah, it it it's... Of, uh, well, first of all, most of the tickets in German football, at least in the higher leagues, are already personalized because you have season tickets and so on, and they are personalized. But I would say 99% of them, you at least have the chance to give it to a friend or someone else. So it's not necessarily The person on the ticket who will enter the stadium. And then we got into a very very critical discussion when we are talking about guest tickets because and and for example I think it was just today that Hansa Rostock announced that they will not go to the game in Bremen because there they need to sign up for the ticket in the Werder Bremen ticket office online of course. So the data will be at Werder and probably also on the, well, worst case police of Bremen. And uh, this is normally not the way it is, because normally you buy your guest ticket or away ticket at your club and the data stays at your club and you trust your club, of course. So therefore, this is a totally different situation. And of course... Many, many fans, when when the pandemic started, they were already scared that this will happen and that all tickets will be personalized and that you as a fan will hand over your data more or less directly to the police. And this is what is behind all these uh, discussions. And I, at the beginning, said, well, I don't think that this will happen, but this approach seems that all these fears might have been correct
0: well i mean the reason why, why i stumbled across this uh this initiative that is going at, at the, the right wing end of, of german politics right now is, is because the uh geld blauer fernhilfe which is a is an organization by uh eintracht fans who help eintracht-braunschweig fans who are in some legal troubles they're saying that covid is now providing a backdoor to politicians to force personalized tickets on football fans and i think personalized tickets are a bad idea and i've been i've actually been to football match in hungary there i could observe what personalized tickets if taken to an extreme might mean for you because not only did I have to sign up for a Ferencváros card uh, to get into the stadium of uh, Ferencváros Budapest, I need to go to the offices, sign up for the card, and I actually I needed to have my fingerprints scanned to get into the stadium. Whoa. <laughs> and, you know, they now have my fingerprints in order for me to get in the stadium, which is it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, practically speaking, it might mean for some fans. Well, giving your season ticket away if you cannot go to the match might be impossible if you have to, you know, if you're not willing to give up a finger or two. But other than that, it it really is sort of that level of surveillance, and the increase of surveillance at football matches. It's really scary, isn't it?
2: Yeah, totally. And well, as I said before, you might trust your own club to be responsible and and to act responsible and and to treat your data uh with big caution and not handing it over to to uh, other institutions but for me i i would not hand over my fingerprints to um.
0: <laughs> well i did i did i wanted to go to the match i wanted to get some ground hopping points but yeah Yeah. Okay. And
2: you probably never go there again. But uh, well, uh, Hungary uh, is a very difficult topic, uh, and uh, therefore, well, I I I definitely uh, are very curious how this will end up. At the moment, I'm still optimistic because my glass is always half full, uh, (laughs) and and I hope that we will get back to normal. I don't know, next summer. And uh, then you can apply for your away tickets again in the normal way. But well, yeah, it it might be that it will all end up in a big nightmare and we have a surveillance state. And if you look to country like, or surveillance football state at least, um, and and if you look to to countries like uh, the Netherlands or Turkey, where they do have uh, things like like you just mentioned with the fan card, for each and every club and, and this is a really, really bad situation and we, we are living in, in uh, from from that perspective, as being an away fan, we are still living more or less in paradise in Germany and it's really, really easy to go to the games if we don't have a pandemic at the moment and I still hope that we will get back to that situation sooner or
1: later. I think to agree with that as well. and Coming from a more surveillance state like the uk who i think blows everyone out the water for cctv cameras they, they don't work <laughs> did you see the scenes at the final of the euros <laughs> well, we have so many cctvs and you know most of those people who broke in will never be found never and but i guess to be fair if you pay by Debit card, credit card, I know a lot of tickets are still cash in the stadiums, but most of those are traceable enough that you don't need extra surveillance, you don't need personalised tickets. Maybe, maybe something to back up cash if you, want, if you wanted to trace cash tickets, but anything further than what's now, it seems pretty pointless.
0: I mean, we know what Dietmar Hopp did at Hoffenheim because he has sort of a very special relationship with the Dortmund fans. And when Dortmund came around to play an away match, he actually had uh, his guys install loads of audio equipment in the away end. And then after there were several insults shouted at him, he went out and reported them to the police. Which, you know, I mean, going by how well you can surveil a crowd by CCTV audio detection why do you need personalized tickets on top of that? It's just another hassle, and it's an intrusion of your privacy, to say the least. But hey, there are elections coming up, both in Norway and in Germany this fall. I know which which, I, which way I am going to vote. It's definitely not going to be parties that are treating the football-going publics in this way. Anyways, let that be the last word. Um, <laughs> So this is it for, for the first ever edition of our Talking Foosball Extra, the Joustic edition. We hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, Aiden Rantoul has had the difficult job of trying to make me sound good as he has been the producer of this podcast. I'm sure he's had a lot less trouble with you two guys. Uh, jasmine, pleasure having you on. Tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. You can
1: find me on Twitter at jasmine underscore bh1. I will be posting any articles i do or any other kind of stuff on there but you can also find me usually once a month on dw sports
0: excellent Uh, mike always great chatting with you tell our listeners where you can be found on social and well what other projects you've got going at the moment because there are quite a few right
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on and it's really been a pleasure to talk to both of you and, uh, well, you can probably find me the easiest way on Twitter on the Milan Tone account and there also my personal account is linked. And, uh, well, yeah, we are quite busy with the Milantone, so that's enough projects for the moment.
0: (laughs) Milantone, your source for all St. Pauli news. Well, uh, my name is Nick Wilteigen, and you can connect with me on Twitter at Norm Musings. If you have any feedback regarding our podcast, get in touch with at Talking Foosball on Twitter. Leave us a rating in iTunes, well, uh, as long as it's good. Tell a friend about our podcast if you've enjoyed it. Make sure to like our Facebook page and tune in to the Fantasy Podcast later this week until next time it is goodbye for now